Welcome to week number three in our series called Change Your World. And, and we're really, uh, in this series, we've been looking at the fact that every one of us uh, ha- has been really given a sphere of influence. And in the first week, uh, the first message in this series, uh, we talked about uh, seven mountains or streams of influence that, that most every one of us, our occupation, our vocation, falls into one of those uh, seven streams of influence. And then last week we talked about really how to identify uh, our sphere of influence and we learned the oikos principle of those that, that God brings across your path are not those that he's going to bring across my path and, and that God really wants to work in our lives and through our lives to influence others for the cause of Christ. And that's ultimately how we're going to change our world. It's not the entire world. It's the world that we live in, the people that we rub shoulders with. And so uh, that's a quick review of where we've been over the last two weeks. And those messages are online and you can uh, watch those to catch up if you missed any of those. Uh, but, but tonight uh, we want to take the next step. And last week we looked at uh, how to really identify our sphere of influence. And, and I want to talk about really now uh, in our time together the how. How is that practically going to happen uh, that we can really begin to make that impact on a real practical and daily basis. Uh, For the sake of our series, kind of the passage that we've been looking at, our key verse is Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, and it says there, Jesus' words say, you are the world's light, a city on a hill, glowing in the night for all to see. That's that's Jesus' desire for your life and my life, that Everyone would see our life like a glowing light uh, set on a hill. Don't hide your light. Let let it shine for all. Let your good deeds glow for all to see so that they will praise your heavenly Father. God wants your good deeds to glow. God wants my good deeds to glow for what reason? That people will see them and and give praise to our heavenly Father. And so that's really uh, the, the ultimate, that's our key verse, that's really God's ultimate desire through our lives. And tonight, during our time together, what I wanna talk about is the most excellent way. How, how can we really make this happen? So the, the title today is The Most Excellent Way. Uh, it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about the most excellent way. Look at what it says, 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 27 and 31, it says, Now you are the body of Christ. Everyone who has received Christ as their Savior, a part of the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And then it goes on in verse 31, And now I will show you the most excellent way. And it goes right in, this is the last verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, and it goes right into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of you probably know what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. What is it all about? Love, that's right, and you didn't even have time to look at your Bible app. Some of you are real Bible scholars there. It's that love chapter, and uh, we hear it read all the time at weddings. In fact, we had a wedding uh, just a a short time ago, and sure enough, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, and it goes on and on and describes love. That's the most excellent way. That's the most excellent way. It says, and now I'll show you the most excellent way. And Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to talk about how God wants you and I to love others. And that's the way that ultimately we will change our world, is by our love, the love that we have. And and so this is so important for, for each and every one of us. 
Jesus put it this way. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. What? The love you have one for another. They'll look at your love. Not so much your words, but your love. And so this is the excellent way. Now, this is what it says. The Bible says here, I'll show you the most excellent way. It's not the only way, but I do think it's probably the most effective way. Because it's the most excellent way. There are other ways, but this is the most excellent way. The way of love. And so how do we do that? Real practical message uh, today. And, and how do we do that? How do we show people? How do we really love other people and influence them? And, and our sphere of influence in our oikos, that Greek word that we looked at uh, last time together. Four primary ways that, that we can show love to others. And that they're really practical, that they're really easy to understand, and yet it's where the rubber meets the road. It's where the difference is really made. Four ways that we can show the most excellent way. Here's the first way. Add value to them. By adding value to other people. Communicating to them, you know, you're important. You're important to me. You're special. You mean something to me. Adding value to them. I think this is, is really uh, what Jesus was really talking about also in Matthew chapter 5, just a verse before that we looked at in Matthew 5, 13, where Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. What does, what does salt do? It adds flavor, doesn't it? That's what happens sometimes. It is very, very rare. Going up on 25 years of marriage, my wife Susie would tell you, it's very rare that I ever salt or pepper anything. But on those rare occasions, I think it happened back in 1997, one time. <laughs> For some reason, she forgot to put some salt on some lima beans. We call them in the South, butter beans. I love my butter beans. And, and I put a little bit of salt on it, and it just it tastes a little bland. But then you put just a little hit of salt on there, and all of a sudden, ah, it's just like the flavor comes out. It adds flavor. Adds value. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus wants to work in your life and through your life to add value, add flavor to those around you. Let me put it this way. If you add value to people, you earn the privilege to influence them. If you and I will make that an objective, to add value to people, you know what happens? We begin to earn the privilege to influence them. You know, it's pretty interesting when, when uh, and I like to tell a lot of stories from when I coached high school football, and uh, it's something that I used to try to do on a regular basis, uh, and that was particularly on Mondays when we'd go back and we'd go to practice and we'd look at the game films, and first we'd go out in the field, everybody's stretching. I'd just kind of walk amongst the players sometimes, and generally most of the coaches are talking and all, but i just kind of walk amongst the players, and i just, uh, you know, they say, hey, coach, how are you doing? I'm like, good, how was your weekend? Ah, oh, that's pretty good, Coach. Tell me, tell, me, tell me the highlight of your weekend. And they start telling me, oh, I went to the, you know, went to the carnival, and uh, man, I got one of those big stuffed rabbits. I don't know what to do with it. And all. I was like, man, that's, that's really cool. I've never been able to do one, you know, earn one of those. Uh, I've I tried a lot of times, and they'd be like, Coach, you want my stuffed rabbit? And I was like, no, I don't want your stuffed rabbit or anything like that. But, but just taking the time and talking to them, or, you know, how are the grades going? 
And they begin to talk, oh, I'm really struggling in this area, you know, and, and, and maybe it was something that I happened to remember a little bit about in high school, maybe about history or something like that. And just, just to help them out, just add value to them. Last night we were at uh, the Varsity Awards dinner um, for Lords High School, and, and it was pretty interesting. One of the, uh, one of the members of our, our church, one of our partners is the golf, the golf coach. In fact, he's He's right over there right now, and uh, uh, Gene Bayersdorfer, and, and he wasn't able to make it uh, last night, had some other things to do, but it was pretty cool. Uh, the athletic director said, let me read something from Coach Bayersdorfer, golf coach, and, and, he, and he read his synopsis, his summary of the golf season, and, and then, and I know Gene, and I know what Gene's all about, and, and he read this that Coach Bayersdorfer wrote. He said, you know, I really had a great opportunity to have some conversations with the, with the guys on the golf team uh, about school about life, and about their dreams. And I man, I just heard that and I was like, Gene's doing it. Gene's getting it done. Gene is salting that golf team. He's adding value to them. Because if you add value to people, you earn the privilege to influence them. It's a major way that we love others. We demonstrate love. The most excellent way is by adding value to them. Here's the second way that, that really we show love in, in this way, the most excellent way, by building intentional community with them. By building intentional community with, with those that we're trying to influence for the cause of Jesus Christ. I love how Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 23 and 25 put it. It says, let us hold unswervingly. That's a, that's a fun word to say, isn't it? Unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For, we, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one, another on, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us think of creative ways in which we can spur one another on. We can inspire, we can encourage, we can challenge one another to grow and to go on and to get even closer to Jesus Christ. And then it goes on and it says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You notice that's a capital D there? That's not a typo or anything. Check it out in the Bible. It's a capital D. What is the day? The day, this day that is being referred to here is the day of the Lord. It's the day that Christ returns and, and kind of ends everything, not kind of, but does end everything as we know it. Time will be no more. And it says, as we see that day approaching, I don't know when that day is coming, but here's the thing I'm confident of. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt we're closer to it today than we were yesterday. And so it's getting closer. It's we're, we're closer to it today than we were 20 years ago or, or 30 years ago. And, and so what does it mean? We need to be intentional, not giving up meeting together. We need to be very intentional in building community. See, I think that this is why the influence doesn't happen by accident. If you and I are going to change our world, it's not going to be like we wake up one morning like, oh my goodness, look what happened. I didn't even see that coming. It's got to be deliberate. It's got to be intentional. We have to decide. And that's what this is referring to. Make the decision. Make the priority. Don't be accidental about this. Make it a priority. This is one of the reasons why here at, at Valley Christian Church we emphasize small groups so much and our community groups. 
because we believe that people grow best in circles, not in rows. That doesn't mean people don't grow at all in rows, but ultimately, people grow the most spiritually when they're connected with a small group of people, and they're sharing their life together. Now, now here's the thing about small groups, and this is not really a message about small groups, but it's really, this whole point is about uh, intentional community, building intentional community. We do believe that people grow best in small groups. Jesus had a small group. It wasn't the crowd. It was the small group that went and changed the world wasn't the crowd it started with a small group his disciples that he sent out as his apostles that's what apostle means sent one and, and so small groups you know sometimes you join a, a community group and maybe it doesn't connect with you real well that's why we have just six month commitments at a time and in the fall we'll have group link again and all the community groups will open up to welcome in new people and and sometimes you get in a, in a community group and you're like ah that didn't fit very well and and i know a lot of christians that have just given up on small groups they're like ah man i was in a group one time and man it was just like it just it just went off the tracks it was like it was just I don't know, it was weird, it was strange. I, I'm not doing that anymore. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you ever had a bad haircut? Did you decide you're never going to get a haircut again? I, I mean, we all, you know, there's sometimes things just happen. And it's like, okay, it didn't fit absolutely right, but, but try it again. Why? Because people grow the most in circles. Not looking at the back of people's heads, not sitting in rows. They grow the best in circles. So you got another haircut, you went, what'd you do? You might have gone to a different barber, so you go to a different small group. And you try that, and then you find one that connects. It's so important to our growth to be really intentional about it. And here, quickly, here are three things about circles, growing in circles, growing in groups. And, and these aren't necessarily to be applied to community groups. I think they could be, but I'm talking about your circle of influence at work. I'm talking about your circle of influence uh, when you're sitting in the bleachers watching your kids playing in their sporting events and, and tournaments. I'm talking about your circle you know, of friends when you go out, spend a little time together. Three things about circles that you really don't find in rows as much. First thing is this, circles are easy. Circles are easy. That they happen anytime, anywhere. Because what happens? Say you go Friday night, hey, let's go out to dinner, you know, with, with, with the two other couples, all right, for instance. So the six of you go out, and what's going to happen? You're going to go to uh, Chili's, and you're going to say, table for six. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to sit around. Even if it's a rectangle, you're all going to be looking at each other. And you're going to start talking, and maybe another conversation here. And it's just easy. It's just so much more easy. Rows. Where do I sit? I can't see behind this person. Can't hear, you know, all this other stuff. People grow better in circles. It's really, really easy. Look at this example in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, this is the crowd, saw, they were watching what happened with Peter and John and realized they were unschooled and ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note of these men. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, this is a pretty cool verse. Let me unpack it a little bit because it's, it's pretty wild what's being said here. The crowd, those around were watching Peter and John and they're like, wait a minute, these guys are unschooled. That, that word is pretty interesting in Greek. Unschooled means uneducated or 
poorly educated. In other words, they didn't have much education. Here's a real wild one. I had him uh, highlight this, this word ordinary. The New Testament was originally written in Greek for the most part, 99.9% of it. And, and those that translated the New Testament from original Greek to English, they had some problems with this word in Greek. Because this word in Greek is a kind of derogatory word. It doesn't mean ordinary. They, 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 they didn't want to embarrass or blemish the apostles Peter and John when they translated this into English. But do you know what that word in Greek actually is when it says unschooled and ordinary men? I'm not even going to, I'm going to tell you what the Greek word is and see if it sounds like any English word that we have. That word ordinary is the Greek word idiotos. idiotas said they're idiots that's literally what they're saying about Peter and John they're idiots the crowd is looking at him saying they are a bunch of as my dad would always say blooming idiots that's even a worse form of idiot a blooming idiot they're idiots what does that mean you and I here's the thing we don't need a degree in theology to influence other people what do we need? We need to have been with Jesus. That's what Peter and John had. That they had been with Jesus. And the crowd looks at them and says, there's something different about their life. And it's sure not because they're educated, because they are idiots. But we can't deny there is something different in their life. And it's a lot easier than we think to influence other people, and to begin to change our world if we'll just open our eyes. This whole idea of building community with them. Circles are easy. They're not really, these were not studied men. That's not saying that, you know, looking down or demeaning those that give their life and discipline of study and biblical knowledge and, and, and the scriptures at all and theology. That's been a big part of my life. But, but the point is, it eliminates the excuse because they were ordinary men. They were uneducated. And they turned the world upside down in one generation. The thing about circles are you can do, they just happen anytime and anywhere. Here's the second thing about circles. Circles are interesting. Circles are interesting. Because the people that God brings into your life and brings across your path and that you really connect with, they're going to be different than the people that I necessarily connect with or, or someone else in, in our church family connects with. But what happens is this. We connect over what? Passions and professions. Passions and professions. I mean, sometimes I think about this. Once a month I have lunch with the clergy of pastors in our community, and I often wonder about this. I was like, man, how... how how just weird would our conversation be to anyone in our church that just sat down at the table? They wouldn't have no idea what we're talking about because we're talking our professions. We're talking about what we're interested in, what we're passionate about. It would be the same as, uh, as a table full of uh, thermonuclear engineers, you know, sitting down and, and Greg plopping down there. I'd be like, what? Are you serious? I have no idea what you're talking about. Circles are of interest. Circles are interesting, common goal, common passions, common pursuits, common professions. And here's the third thing about circles as we're building intentional community that happens in circles. Circles are effective. 
Circles are incredibly effective. That's why we believe so much in small groups here at Valley Christian Church. Because you know, you know what? They, they are personally effective and they're also publicly effective. So from time to time in our community group, we just have socials. Most of our community groups do. And we'll, we'll, we'll do all kinds of, maybe we'll go out to a restaurant and eat. And you know what? doesn't take long before those servers all of a sudden they're kind of looking they notice this is a different group they're a little quirky they're a little different boy they tip really well and they sure are pleasant and they sure are friendly and well-mannered it makes a difference stand out in a crowd they're not hiding our light we're not hiding our light but we're right out there it makes a difference. They're effective. Circles are effective personally, and they're also effective publicly. And so as we're talking about this most excellent way, three, three different ways that we've looked at already. We add value to others. It's a way that we love and begin to influence. Then we, we also build intentional community with them. And, and then here's the third way. Here's the third way now. We add value. We build intentional community with them. And here's the third way. Admit your mistakes to them. Oh, Greg. It was so easy before you said that. Admit your mistakes to them. Listen, we all blow it. We all mess up. None of us bats a thousand all the time. We we stumble. They see it, and what they're waiting to see more than you stumble or me stumble is how do we respond when we mess up? Do we act like it didn't happen? Do we just go on and pretend everything's fine? They saw it. They want to see how are we going to respond. Admit your mistakes to those in your oikos. In James chapter 5, verse 16, we've looked at this uh, before, and I want to mention it again because it's just so powerful. James chapter 5, verse 16, the beginning of the verse, it says, Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other, each other so that you may be healed. Admit your faults. Admit your faults to one another. You know, I, I, I love uh, uh, Pastor Rick Warren. I get his little daily devotionals. They're very inspirational and so nice. Wake up in the morning, boom, there it is. And recently, he, he shared this in, the, in his devotional, four benefits to being honest about your faults. Did you know you can benefit by being honest about your faults? Not only can you personally benefit, and I personally benefit, but the reality is those that hear can benefit as well because they're like, you know what? That guy's real. He's authentic. He's genuine. He's transparent. And, and I know what a lot, of, a lot of Christians, we love doing this. Well, you know, a number of years ago, I was struggling in an area. <laughs> That's about as real as a game show host. It really is. But, but, but it's like being transparent, being real, being authentic is... I'm not even sure I'm through this yet. But, but this is what's happening. Four benefits of being honest about our faults. Here's the first one. 
It brings emotional healing. If we keep trying to cover over our faults, guess what? Everyone sees, and we just walk around with wounds still. But when we're honest about our faults, it brings emotional healing. That's what it says there in James chapter 5, verse 16. Let me point it out again. Admit your faults to one another. We pray for forgiveness from God. We need forgiveness, we go to God. We need healing for our faults, we go to others. Parents, don't miss how powerful this is. Some of the most powerful moments that I have ever had as a father are when I've had to go to one of my girls and say, you know what? Daddy didn't handle that right. Daddy didn't respond right to that. I remember as being a teenager when my father came to me one time. And he said, son, I lost my temper and that was wrong. And I ask you to forgive me. It brought healing. Emotional healing. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's the first benefit of being honest about our faults. Second benefit about being honest about our faults is this, it, it creates a fresh start. It gives you and I a fresh start. I love this, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. This is real, real incredible wisdom. Proverbs 28, 13. It says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. Whoa. How about that? A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, turns from them, he gets another chance. Powerful wisdom. Powerful wisdom. Benefit that we have from being honest about our faults. And, and, and what's the alternative? We'll never be successful if we don't. Not in the eyes of God. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. When we are honest about our, our faults, brings us emotional healing. Sometimes if we hurt someone else, healing to them as well. Gives us a fresh start. Here's, here's the third benefit. God's power changes us. God's power, it gives us God's power to change. James chapter 4 verse 10 says, Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. When we humble ourselves before God, when we humble ourselves before others and say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I messed up. This is the big mistake that I made that I find myself in the middle of. We humble ourselves. God says, now I'm, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to pull you up. I'm going to bring you up. Because you humbled yourself before, before them and before me. God's power is released in our life to change. The fourth benefit to really being honest about our faults is this. We experience deeper fellowship. Deeper relationship. That's what that word fellowship, it's a good Bible word. Koinonia. Deeper relationship. Because you know what? When, when all of a sudden we're honest about our fault, People see that, you know what, it's like, they're, they're real. 
That's a real person right there. They're three-dimensional now, not just one-dimensional. Hey, everything's fine all the time. <laughs> you can't touch that. That's fake. That's phony. But, but when we're real about it, now we have a deeper relationship. Like, all right, I can relate to him. I can relate to him. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we're living in the light as God is in the light then we have fellowship with each other. If we're living in the light. In other words, if I'm allowing the light of God's word, the truth of God, to shine in my life, even in those areas that are a mess, we'll have real relationship, real fellowship. And God can even, that's what Romans 8.28 is all about. For we know God works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose, even our faults. God can use those for our good and for the good of others as well. And so how do we love people? We add value to them. We build intentional community with them in, in circles. We admit our mistakes is the third way that we love others. And then here's the fourth way. And this is the ultimate way. This is, no question about it, the most excellent way. Connect him to Jesus. Connect him to Jesus. There's nothing greater that you and I can ever do than to help people to connect with Jesus. It's the ultimate. It's the ultimate influence. It's the ultimate way to change our world. Let me end with this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, in the New Living Translation, puts it this way. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Isn't that powerful? That's what God wants to do through your life, through my life, to use us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. And then it goes on and it says, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. And so my question for us today is, what's the aroma of your life? What's the aroma of your life before God? Is it really a sweet perfume that, that when people talk about you, they're like, you know what? I'm a better person because I know them. They've made me a better person. Is it a sweet perfume? Can, can people smell a Christ-like fragrance on your responses and your reactions and your priorities and your passions? Christ-like fragrance. Doesn't matter what stream or the seven streams that you may find yourself in. Maybe it's uh, education. Those of you that are teachers and administrators, uh, what about the dialogue that happens in the office, or better yet, in the break room at lunchtime, or in business? Is it close the deal, no matter what it takes, say whatever you have to, or do people see something different in your life? Smell sweet fragrance of Christ in the family, media, 
government. Right where you are. Because God wants to work through your life and through my life to begin to change our world. Now here's the crazy thing. As you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I don't know if this ever occurred to you before. You're reading through there and somebody come up to Jesus. Maybe they're blind or some other sickness or infirmity. And What does Jesus do? tell you what he doesn't do he doesn't say do you believe that I am the son of God who's going to die for all the sins of the world and do you receive me as your personal Lord and Savior first before I help you in any way what does he do he touches them at their point of need and he heals them and then you know this really weird thing that happens you can read through it read about it all throughout the gospel then he'll say this go home And don't tell anyone. Go home, but don't tell anyone. He he wasn't telling them, go and and preach on the corner. Go and put a track in the bathroom stall at the restaurant. He said, go home and don't tell anyone. But what happened? They went home and they told their whole oikos. And as a result of it, the ripple effect, the world began to change. Jesus didn't preach at them. What did he do? He loved them. He loved them in their point of need. He added value to them. He he began to build a rapport with them, an intentional community. Ultimately, the best thing that you and I can ever do, even when we share our own mistakes, is make sure that ultimately we're pointing them back to Jesus Christ because he's the one. We're just the pointer. We're just pointing. He's the one that can change and transform a human heart. That's what he wants to do through your life and my life, right where he has placed us and the people he's placed around us. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that through this series, Change Your World, that we're beginning to get a glimpse that there's so much more that you want to do than than just in our lives, but you want to do a whole lot as well through our lives. Father, as we, we looked at during our time together today, the more excellent way of how we can really begin to love those around us. Father, I pray that that even over the next few days, Lord, that we would decide in our hearts that we want to add value to those around us, to build intentional community in circles, to make time for for face-to-face conversations that can communicate and begin to communicate care. Lord, when we blow it, when we mess up, when we stumble, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, give us the courage to admit our mistakes, that it would bring emotional healing and we would experience a fresh start, that your power to change would be released in our lives. And as a result of that, those relationships, those that are watching, those relationships would even grow deeper. Father, ultimately, 
we pray that our lives would be a sweet perfume, a fragrant aroma of Christ-likeness rising up to you as we help others connect to Jesus, knowing that we're not the ones that ultimately can make the difference, but as we point to Jesus, he's the one that can change lives and transform hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.